Okay, hi everybody. This is A7X Fan Band with God Mason. This is the third Pirate CSG podcast. And today we're just going to go over a few different random topics. Uh, some of them were suggested on the first thread at Miniature Trading. And we're going to get right into it. So the first one that we have uh, queued up here is talking about memorable Pirates moments. Somebody suggested that. So hearing about some of the memorable games and some of the moments might be interesting. So I guess I'll start. I was just telling God Mason before we started the recording here. Um, I played so many huge games that I don't really remember a lot of the moments from the smaller games. But one that I one that did stand out that I'll always remember, I played a game, I think it was my American Pirates fleet versus uh, I want to say it was the High Peng Fort Frenzy fleet, which is they're actually doing a rematch in tournament number two right now. I actually played a game with Xerix last night on Basel, so they're they're doing like a rematch from my first series back in 2015. So like two and a half years later, they're facing each other again in Basel tournament number two. But in that first series, there was a game where I noticed I I kind of call it like the ramming game because there were so many rams towards the end of the game, but almost all of them didn't work. So it was like, it was a case where the Banshee's Cry, which is basically the most overpowered ship in the game and generally the best ship in the game, it had like this crazy luck, like it's already a great ship. And then uh, the other fleet just kept trying to ram it out of commission again and again. They kept failing. They kept rolling ones. The Banshee's Cry is only a one-masted ship, so as long as you roll a two or higher, it would be dismasted via a ram. But then I just kept rolling ones like over and over and over, and it was just crazy, and it made the game take longer, and it was just, it was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen many like streaks of one rolls like that. Although yeah. you know, I've seen occasionally two or three in a row. Mm-hmm. Um, if I have to think of some of my top moments, um, the first one that comes to mind was a, a pickup game that I played probably about a year and a half ago. I was really just throwing stuff together from my collection. Uh, what I did is I picked up USS Layman, the uh, the two, I guess two pieced. American submarine, yeah. and then I grabbed Captain Montana Maze, I think, from Ocean's Edge, mm-hmm. which is basically uh, self-linking, crew protecting, and same action twice. And then I threw a helmsman on it, and I just basically sped around the the playing field the whole game, like getting extra actions more or less every other turn. So I was moving, you know, six S, and sometimes ramming people twice in one turn, nice. and. That basically made everybody tell me not to use submarines again. Yep. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. And that submarine is uh, tied as the fastest one, or it might be the only one with SS speed. So, yeah, it's a pretty good strategy, definitely. Yeah. Although, uh, which one is it? It's not Slipstream, is it, that uh, that can move SL while submerged? Uh, oh, yeah, the Devil Ray. Yeah, I forgot about the her. Devil Ray. Yeah, the base yeah. move is only S, but then when submerged, she gets plus L. So with a Helmsman, you can go SLS underwater, which is pretty awesome. Yeah, and I don't know what their extra action crew options are offhand. But... Yeah, they have a few. They have Count Gustav as extra action, and then they have they have a Sack Captain. and then Oh, they have the first version of uh, Eileen Bridget O'Brien is... Mm-hmm. Uh, or no, I think the second version. I think the uh, Savage Shores version is same action twice, the SAT crew. So they have some stuff, but... Yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll have to go through all the submarines at some point because I do want to, I do want to do a sort of like top, maybe top five of each, you know, alt ship type stuff yep. like submarines, sea monsters, long ships, all yep. that. 
Yeah, that's but, a good idea. That's a good companion too, because I was thinking about doing that for like rankings threads on miniature trading eventually. But that'd be a good like companion to do audio too. It'd be fun. Yeah, and I then, wanted to do that. So yeah, sounds good. I uh, just found that battle report with the banshees cry, and uh, yeah, it was hype fighting Fort Frenzy versus the American Pirates, and it said and I wrote uh, this is one of the craziest craziest games I've played so far, and one of the better games uh, I've played overall. And yeah, it talks about yeah the failed ramming game. It says six ram attempts on ships with one mast, and only two of them succeeded. So when normally five out of six would work. So and I think at one yeah. point it was like four out of five had failed, even when you only had to roll a two or higher, which is crazy. So, yeah, I wonder what the odds of that are. It's probably like one in twelve hundred or something. Yeah. yeah, it's pretty crazy. Yeah, yeah, I can't I, do that math offhand. Yeah. And on that point, yeah, my dust, my dice are up low, but dice luck in uh, shoot actions is usually pretty bad. It's funny because I don't really, I usually roll really bad um, in the rolls to see who goes first, and then on cannon rolls. But in terms of like ramming, boarding, ac- even extra actions and same action twice, stuff like that, I usually roll pretty well. But then when it comes to actually shoot, I get a ton of ones and twos, and then a few like sixes. So. It's pretty extreme mm. when I roll. I don't know why. And that's continued. It started in physical games, and that's actually continued to Vassal. So my luck is kind of held even in, like, the virtual world. <laughs> Maybe it's for the best that we don't have, like, a 1 through 20 roll system where a 1 yeah. will basically make it backfire in itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I th- yeah. It, uh, what was the... Oh, right. I another moment that came to mind. Um, I... I was playing a game where Pirate Globe was in play, which is basically the same as Maps of Alexandria from Barbary Coast. It's a unique treasure where, because not everybody will have seen or used this piece, Mm -hmm. where when it's discovered, you flip all treasure face up on all the wild islands. And that turned the game on its head because people realized that an island that everybody had been ignoring had by far the most, like, is the most gold points on it. Yep. I think it had something like, th- not 30, but it was somewhere in the mid-20s. Wow. wow, that's a lot. Yeah. yeah. It's pretty cool. Yeah, one I, thing uh, I've started recently, uh, I'm basically starting a huge game legacy thread. So I'm basically, if anybody has seen the Guide to Huge Games thread at Miniature Trading, um, that has like kind of like a short summary and pros and cons of each of the huge games I've played. And uh, just for reference, I've kind of defined huge game. It's, I mean, it's subjective, but like for me, a huge game is anything that it ha- uh, totals at least a thousand total points at any given time. And then, so I'm making a huge game legacy thread. It's not going to be released soon. Uh, there's still a lot of work to be done on it, but it's a pretty gigantic thread. And it's going to include all the huge games that have been played. So I have like nine of my own, and then Xerix has like three of his own and then he's playing one right now and then another might finish so it could total like 12 to 14 huge games when i finish it but i have it up i talk about it because i have it up right now like the draft of it and uh some of the a lot of my most memorable moments have come from huge games of course because those are those are my favorite games to play like the campaign games the ones that go on for like weeks or months and they get like really huge so one of them uh my first uh campaign game was back in 2011 and uh, it was pretty crazy because I had gold. I didn't use, like, standard gold replenishment rules where, like, there would be four coins on an island, and then when it's empty, they replenish. I basically just put as much gold 
on the island as would fit. So there's like, there's just like ridiculous, like dozens of coins, like randomly put on every single wild island. And then what what was bizarre though, and kind of didn't work too well was that one of them was a mysterious island. And it was the Ooh. one that allows you to take two coins from ev- every other wild island oh. in the game and then add them to that island. So, so the Spanish found that island and they, and it was pretty near their harbor in that game. I used a harbor system instead of home islands. And, uh, basically they oh. were able to dock at it like consistently cause they had a lot of like gold runners and it was near their harbor. So they kept use they kept, it wasn't really even on purpose, but it just happened that they just kept rolling well. So a ton of gold, got transported to that island and that was actually Ooh. one of the biggest reasons they became like a front runner in that game and then but of course the game kind of the game like blew up soon after that and it painted a big target on their back so they didn't end up winning which is good but that was definitely one of the one of the wackier things that happened and yeah on the topic of that mysterious islands can be pretty pretty bad actually <laughs> they're pretty overpowered yeah. Yeah, I've yeah. never really actually played all that much of them. I think mm-hmm. I've played once or twice, but I don't think that one was in play. Yeah, good. That's yeah, that sounds like. I mean, I think you've said before that the rules sort of break down mm-hmm. as games get bigger, and I guess that's just a really good piece of evidence as to why. Yeah, there's certain things that can be exploited like way too much. Like the best example in terms of crew are like cargo masters and navigators, because in a regular game. A cargo master will only give you like three to ten extra cargo spaces, but in a in a campaign game, I mean, there's no limit to how many ships you could have in your fleet. So those five points go way too long away towards making your fleet better. And then similarly with navigators, the trade currents never get deleted, so you can just have like Vassal campaign game one on the Vassal module. Zerix and I had so many trade currents, and then. I just got like kind of fed up with it, so I put uh, Celestine's charts into the mix, which eliminates all friendly trade currents. So I was happy to have that kind of clean up the ocean like towards the end of it. And then yeah, like Mysterious Islands can definitely be overpowered in campaign games too. There's a couple that are really bad, uh, along with the one I mentioned. There's one that can bring a you can roll a five or six and then bring an event from your collection into your fleet. Oh. Yeah, so that's bad. Oh. And, then, and then there's one that says uh, unique treasure you can bring in from your collection, which is pretty bad as well. So yeah, yeah, it gets rough with those. (laughs) Yeah. There's a reason why it's, why there are very few things out there that can bring in unique treasure just because they're so abusable. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. I, I, I I can think of some pretty, some pretty good ways to, uh, to mess with that without, uh, without even having to resort to looking up, uh, the database on miniature trading. Yeah. (laughs) And then going back to the huge game legacy thread that I've started, um, I played a fi- my first 500 point game. I basically play I played three of those so far. So I had five different fleets, and all of them were 500 point fleets. So there was like 2,500 points on the weekend <laughs> when the game started. Yes, yeah, so that's like really big. So yeah, pretty much as far as I know, like the biggest like standard like setup rules. Like it wasn't a campaign game where points are spent along the way. It's just, it's a regular game with just huge fleets. So basically, that was one of my favorite games ever because uh, the ending was amazing. Basically, um, the Spanish had two ships coming home. They were like kind of like big gold galleons. The Concepcion is a good, pretty good ship, uh, durable, four masts, and it has the plus two gold bonus ability. So I had two of those because I had I allowed duplicates back then because my my collection was a lot smaller, and uh, basically. 
they had two of those, both with a bunch of gold on them. And then the pirates, uh, they were not in an alliance with the cursed, but the cursed had uh, Davy Jones, the OE version, which is all powerful, so he can give his ship an extra action, like essentially every turn. And uh, they had him on the Divine Dragon, and they sent him through a whirlpool. And then with the extra speed, with 6S speed, he was able to chase down the two Spanish <laughs> ships and sink both of them. And then that gave the Pirates the win, 48 to 45. So if the Spanish had gotten either of those two gold ships home, they would have won. So it's pretty, it was, at the time, it was pretty, like, controversial for me. And it's still, like, one of my favorite, like, finishes ever. Because it was so, like, epic at the end, so... And it was a good yeah. game overall. So <laughs> I had uh I had one I I had this setup where um I had Behemoth, I had some kind of ship that had that uh can't be shot out with an S as well as a flotilla. The wow. idea was that uh that Behemoth would either copy the ability where it can't be shot at at close range or it would copy extended range. Mm-hmm. And uh unfortunately what ended up happening was I made an attack on uh, which is the uh, which is the Titan that uh, takes down two mass with one hit. Is it Rananoidia or something yep. like that? Yeah, that's what it is. Yep. I I attacked somebody using that uh, with the extended range thing. I thought that I would basically get you know basically three hits on them and mm-hmm. gimp them, make them run away. Yeah. I got some really bad rolls. Yep. And I only hit them once, wow. so they closed in and they just killed Behemoth. Wow. I was, I, I was trying not to be a bad sport about it, but I was really disappointed. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. Uh, good timing because that was actually one of the next things I would talk about. Um, another 500 point game between five fleets. Um, I had three ten masters, and uh, basically ten masters always disappoint me. I always roll really badly, and mm-hmm. uh, in this one game. The Bauchuan, uh, however you pronounce it, it basically, with an extra action, uh, it says the Bauchuan went 7 for 20 with a World Hater, which is ridiculous because most of her <laughs> cannons are decent. And then with a World Hater, I don't think any of them are worse than rank 4. I think they're be rank 3 and 2. So out of 20 shots, I only hit 7 times. And, oh. I just, and then, like, I think the other 10 Masters I had were also doing pretty badly and i just like i think i had to quit playing the game for that day because i was so like annoyed with it i was pretty pissed yeah i've i've only actually seen 10 masters used twice in my games uh once when i used one with a setup that i think probably turned out to be illegal when i posted it to miniature trading uh the other time was when my dad insisted on using celtic fury Mm -hmm. and he basically spent the whole game chasing me around with it (laughs) so I mean, I was using a submarine in this game, so all I really did was, uh, because I think this was three or four people, Mm -hmm. I got him to follow me as close to an enemy as possible. He got a few bad rolls against them. His, uh, I I think, yeah, he just ended up getting a bunch of bad rolls, and this other person got some good ones. So they crippled his ship, and then I surfaced when they lost, uh, I think it was the Black Pearl that that they're using but then i surfaced and sunk his ship mm-hmm. yeah so nice. yeah between their size and kind of their unwieldiness i think they're probably kind of hard to use yeah 
in any real games. Yeah, yeah, they are pretty tough to use. They become more viable in like the huge games that I've talked about, which is nice. But even in those mm. games, they've really disappointed me. So I basically, I don't really think Ten Masters are worth the the cost at all for the most part. So, and then yeah. moving on, I had uh, my Century of the Empires game from 2013, which is that was a big game for me because it was the first game I took pictures for, and that's the that's the first game in the Battle Reports thread at the miniature trading version. On Pojo, I've been doing reports since 2011, but uh, basically one of the most notable things that happened in that game, the English were able to pull off uh, pretty much the most overpowered or dramatic rune combo with the rune UTs. So basically they had uh, a couple abilities that let them look at face down cold on enemy ships and things like that and other islands. And they, they also had either runes of magic or runes of Odin, they already had one of those two, and then they used the spy abilities to find the other one, and then they managed to capture the ship with the other rune, and then with the combo, they basically were able to flip both at once. So basically, Runes of Odin brings an iceberg into the game, and then um, whichever ship is the first to hit that iceberg gets automatically like removed from the game, including all the crew. And then Runes mm. of Magic allows you to move any iceberg and play uh, L in any direction. So oh. then, yeah, so then when you combine them, it basically means that you can pick any ship in the game and just automatically eliminate the ship and all the crew. <laughs> so the English were already uh, finishing up, like, winning a battle against the Cursed, and they knew the Spanish were going to be their biggest adversary in the, uh, like, in the endgame, in the final battle. So they basically flipped both Runes of Odin and Runes of Magic, and then they eliminated El Corazado from the Spanish fleet, which was, like, a big deal at the time. So, yeah. Ooh. Looking back on like the final battle, because I reread the battle report recently for the for the thread I'm making, and it it the English would have won the final battle anyway because they had a pretty decent numbers advantage, but it was still it still made it easier that they didn't have to face the a Corazado in the final battle. Yeah, that's. <laughs> I mean, at some point we're gonna talk about how unique treasures can really break the game sometimes yeah. especially with how they can be combined but that's probably something for a later episode yeah. uh do you have any more moments you'd like to share um i mean there's a ton but not really um any that i'm standing out right now oh i do have a few uh the huge game legacy thread i'm doing like favorite quotes from the games and some of them are fun most of them are either like funny or just memorable to me based on like how i played it and uh in the Economy Edition game from 2015, do you know the ship, the Black Mamba? It's a ship from yeah. Fire and Steel, yeah. So basically, yeah. the ability is on a six, you get to eliminate uh, two masts from an enemy ship if you hit on a six with a shoot action, and then, but if you roll one, you eliminate one of your own masts. So mm -hmm. the pirates had the Black Mamba, and she was facing a few uh, Franco-Spanish ships. They had an alliance in that game, like a permanent alliance, and basically, and it, it's a good example of how bad my gun luck is with cannon rolls because the black mamba roll <laughs> did you sink it, yourself almost well i don't think it, it's not supposed to sink you but you can eliminate your own masts and uh basically the first shoot action the black mamba shot 0 for 3 and then rolled <laughs> one and then but then she got to shoot again so then she went 0 for 3 again and rolled two more ones so that meant oh. she was 0, 0 for 6 shooting and lost all of her masts based on her own ability, not from any hostile ships shooting at her. <laughs> so, it's ridiculous. Yeah. 
I don't think I've had any luck that bad. Um, I did want to mention, since I've started playing again as of a few weeks ago, um, it's my dad, my older sibling, and myself. Mm -hmm. My dad, who considers himself basically the... uh, Basically, the worst player of the group has won both games so far. Okay, nice. Yeah. And um, now that you mentioned, like, best... I think you said something about best quotes from games. Yeah, yeah. Something like that. Um, I posted this in the Battle Reports thread, Mm -hmm. but I don't know how many people saw this. So, in the first game, my dad was using a French fleet. Um, I know that there were two ships that were a part of it. It was La Bonne Chance, which is a three-master junk from OE. And uh, then there was was Le Décharge from uh, Mysterious Islands. And I think that translates as the discharge yeah 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 according to my dad so (laughs) yeah that's that's a little uh well what he'd done is he he had just filled up uh le discharge's hold with gold from a wild island Mm -hmm. and he was sending la bonne chance because you know it's 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 a decent gunship so he was sending that after us Mm -hmm. and he had a moment where he just had this grin on his face and he turned to us and said I'm coming at you with my junk, and I've got a full discharge. Yep. <laughs> yep. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah, I'm being off color now. <laughs> well, you already posted it. Some people have seen it anyway, so who cares? True. <laughs> True. <laughs> no, that's You're a good right. one though. It's yeah. perfect. It's kind of like ironic how well it worked out in terms of like the the ship names and everything like that, because that's not usually how it would work so well with something like yeah. that. We basically find any excuse to be a little bit childish when yeah. it comes to, to this game. I don't know why. Yep. It brings it out of my dad, myself, and uh, everybody else, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was kind of, eventually they were kind of marketing towards a like a younger demographic, so it kind of makes mm-hmm. you feel like a kid again, too. Especially if like you saw the Pirates of the Caribbean movies when you were young, like we did, in, in terms of like our generation and stuff, so... Makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Although I, th- I think I speak for some other people too. I do, for the most part, prefer keeping uh, my fantasy world separate like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then a uh, couple other moments from huge games for me, um, or not so much moments, but Vassal Campaign Game One, which became like the biggest game of all time. And then a few moments in like Vassal Campaign Game Two, I eventually had uh, a, almost like a monopoly on the Ten Masters because I launched as many as I could and then we got into like custom ships so I started launching like custom 10 masters because I had <laughs> gold yeah and I was able to eventually I was able to get like six in play all at once in the same uh huge game so it like it was just ridiculous but and then that game didn't really end well but and then but yeah Vessel campaign game one has a ton of moments but I'll I'll talk about it more on a later podcast potentially so right. and then yeah, so for moments, that was a good uh, good time. And then we could do this more of those later, too, as we remember more and things like that. Or as we, we get more moments. Or yeah, like as that. we have them. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Like, maybe last night. I mean, last night was interesting because, uh, yeah, actually, I'll talk about that. Vassal uh, Tournament number two, I basically had the high peng with one mass standing. And uh, Xerox was using my American Pirates fleet. And he was towing home the Patagonia with uh, Bratley aboard, the Ransom crew. So if he docked home the Patagonia, who he was towing, he would get uh, five gold from the Ransom payout. So I knew I had to I knew I knew had to put a stop to that. So I had the High Peng, which is like the fastest ship in the game. I had her sail over 
I missed the first shot at 3S, but then uh, since she's so fast, I was able to catch back up on the next turn, and uh, the second shot hit, so I was able to sink my own ship to avoid giving him the five gold ransom payout, so that worked out pretty well, and then I eventually won the game in the end. Nice. So, yeah. I, I had one from the last game I played. It was basically how it ended. Uh, older sibling got knocked out of the game. Just kind of their goal is for the most part to just kind of cause some havoc and have some fun with it. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I had lost my only warship and I was just down to using sea rat. Uh And, uh, yeah, my dad had decided to blockade my home island a little bit, which I thought was kind of, but, but I, uh, I made kind of a last ditch effort to get to my home island. And I think I ended up a quarter inch away and he was able to unleash, uh, a full broadside, got a couple good rolls and derelicted Mm me. Oh, okay. That ended the game. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, blockade strategy doesn't usually work too well. It works better if you have like a lot of ships to actually pull it off, but most games are too small for that sort of strategy. But, but yeah, the Sea Rat's pretty fragile, so she's not going to... And she's also not super fast or anything. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I even had a Helmsman, but it doesn't really yeah. matter when, yeah. when, uh, when you just don't have enough of a speed advantage to get home in one turn. Yep, exactly. Yeah, the Sea Rat's a pretty good ship. I actually like that ship a lot, but... And then the next topic, uh, basically, it, they mentioned a segment over MT itself, uh, your involvement, and then changes we've experienced. So I'll start. I wouldn't say things have changed a ton. I joined in June 2011, so I've had like six years on the site now. But uh, the biggest changes for me is just like members, old some of the older members leaving, and then a lot of the newer members joining. So I mean, the community is a little smaller than it used to be, but... It's not really, there's still a ton of posts. And in some cases, I looked recently at different uh, pages of the forum, and there's as many posts um, as there used to be. And there's actually like a greater concentration of like threads happening because I saw like um, on the second page of the forum, there was like posts from like May through June or, or, or April through June. And then on like the 12th or 13th page from like 2012, there were it was a way wider range of months. So we're actually doing quite well. But yeah, that's one of the big things, though. Like some of the older people from the forum actually made a thread about that like a year or two ago. A lot of the veterans that have left. But then, of course, there's newer people to uh, to replace them. And people people have discovered the game more recently. Or a big theme is uh, people coming back after they knew about the game a while ago, kind of like you, and also a lot, mm-hmm. a lot of the people that have joined in the past year or so. There have been a lot of new members, honestly. Even in 2017, we've seen a pretty good amount of new people, and they're actually they're contributing, they're posting, people are making reviews, fleets. I've played a handful of games with uh, Rokozai and Wifey on Vassal, like they're playing. So it's it's pretty. I think the community is doing pretty well. I don't think. I mean, MT hasn't really changed all that much for the most part. Um, but yeah, I don't know what your thoughts are on that. I think it's more active than when I joined. Yeah. Um, I jumped on, uh, I mean, I mentioned in, I think, the first podcast that I really got back into the game when I kind of had a nostalgia trip in late 2015. Yeah. Uh, I think I probably found this site when you mentioned it on Reddit, I'm guessing. Yeah, I remember that. Yep. Yeah. Um, so I ended up registering. I was active for a few months. I disappeared for a uh, 
probably between six months and a year. And now I'm back again. Mm-hmm. And, um, and yes, it's definitely more active than it was when I joined when yeah. you could basically go days without seeing posts. Now yeah. there's stuff every few hours. Yeah. Yeah. Once in a while we'll go like a day or two without a post. I kind of, sometimes I notice that and I try to like, I try to prevent it by making like a new thread or something like that. But yeah, mm-hmm. the other, the other change I would, uh, I would say is like we can edit the database now, which is really big and you don't yeah. have to, it's not just like the Herald or moderator that can like change things or, or add like a new set. Not that we have any, but basically like editing the database is probably the biggest change that I've seen in terms of like how the site's managed and how it's run because we've had a ton of corrections already. So the database already looks better. And then a lot of people, including myself, has a- have added some flavor text, which is nice to kind of fill things in. Filling all yeah. the holes and gaps in the in the database, so that's been nice. Yeah, I remember uh, there's that one cursed icebreaker, Erd. Mm-hmm. It had the wrong flavor, not not flavor text. It had the wrong ability text at one yeah. point. I know. I didn't even know that. That was huge for me because I was like, "Holy crap! It's been wrong for so long." <laughs> yeah, it, it turns out it had the ability of HMS Granville, the yep. uh, British icebreaker, yep. and that its actual keywords were just like icebreaker and ghost ship, yeah. which is a disappointment, but yeah. it also means I didn't need to collect it because it was not as good. Yeah, yeah, true. It is more like yeah. thematic, though, because it's cursed, but thank you for changing mm-hmm. that. Cause, like, I had I had no idea, because like, I probably, I may have even used the, well, no, I guess I didn't use the Urdan Basil. I might have, like, once, but I'm not really sure. Like, with the wrong ability, though, so yeah. Yeah, so you basically just use HMS Granville with a cursed skin. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, um, and then... I guess a small shout out to whoever it was. It was probably about a month or two ago. There was somebody who did like sixty or it's like a, just a huge volume of edits and fixes to stuff yeah. in the database. I don't remember what their name was. Purple yeah. Viking or something. Yeah, Purple Viking 95 added, like, a ton of flavor text. That's basically what yeah. it was. Yeah, yes. it proved a bunch of the edits. Yeah, he did. He went through probably, like, his whole collection, or at least most of it, and added as much yeah. as he had, which was really nice. So, Yeah, serious credit. Yeah, I did English ships, but then I've kind of I've been doing other things more lately. It's kind of hard to prioritize because it takes a while, and it's just kind of just, like, data entry. So That reminds me. Um Speaking of flavor text, I've mentioned a couple times on the forum that I started a uh, a yeah. sort of canon wiki yep. for uh, for the game, mm-hmm. just sort of assembling the actual story of the game and trying to pin down its time period. Yeah, um, which is really tough because you know Golden Age of Sail stuff is sort of early 1700s, right? Yeah, yeah, pretty yeah. much. Yeah, the and, general the time period the. The most broad, I've done a lot of reading on this, so, like, the most broad time period is, like, 1500 to 1850, but then, like, Mm -hmm. in terms of, like, warfare and, like, developments and things like that, and even, like, uh, colonialism and everything, the main time period is, like, 1650 to 1815, and, of course, the latter year, which uh, Napoleon was defeated for the last time, so. Yeah, yeah, I'd say one of the later, I'm trying to sort of, do a chronology of it, but I'm pretty sure that it's not necessarily, uh, I don't think the sets sort of occur in chronological order, yeah. if you know what I'm saying. Definitely not, no. It's crazy. And I think, like, some of them are closer together than one would think. Yep, yep. Uh, which is, it's kind of weird, but, you know, fantasy world, so you can make it up. Yeah. But 
the thing is I've noticed um, as I was doing some research on Mysterious Island stuff, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure some of that stuff takes place between 1860 and 1870. It's sort yeah. of towards the end of the Victorian era. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, it's and, pretty, the, the chronological order is pretty messed up because it's totally, it's all, it's kind of almost random too. And I can, uh, there's a few old threads on miniature trading. I don't know if you've seen them, but there, a few people have tried to do like a similar thing. So I'll try to find those and then send them to you. But, uh, and on that note, I remember there's a few flavor texts from D.B. Jones' Curse that talks about Napoleon and uh, mm-hmm. the Battle of Trafalgar. So that's kind of like 1805 for D.B. Jones' Curse is somewhere in that vicinity. And then, but then similarly, that was like the sixth set released. And then the 12th set, the second to last one, Fire and Steel, talks about like a huge uh, English-French rivalry, which was like, right after Trafalgar and right before as well. So it's kind of like, it's kind of skewed. Yeah. A lot of them may coincide, really. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Yeah, I'd imagine that there's plenty going on elsewhere, like maybe South China Seas and Barbary Coast overlaps to a degree. Yeah. Something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, at some point, if you happen to have the the, uh, South China Seas flavor text from El Phantasma, which I haven't been able to find anywhere. Yep. Yeah, I'll try to get uh, it down. Yeah, if, yep. if somebody could send that to me if they've got that card, because I was working on his page, but that was the only one that I couldn't find. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I mean, from there, I've got so much to uh, to work on, all yeah. the peripheral ships and yep. uh, other crew, yeah, other characters. Yeah, yeah, the crew, I often find uh, crew flavor text a little more interesting than the ship, because it kind of, sometimes mm-hmm. it's longer, they give more background, they literally... On some of the name crew, they literally just have, like, more space on the card to, like, put the text, so they'll put, like, more. And I remember a lot of longer entries, um, including some of the some of the early sets had some pretty long entries. But one thing I remember is how it's, um, like, name crew like Jack Hawkins and Calico Cat will appear, like, a ton of times. So trying to keep track <laughs> of that, like, in terms of the story is going to be difficult, especially in terms of, like, a time period. But yeah and there's a lot of them where i found that basically because we don't know what their fate in the end was um let me look it up who was it that was uh i think it was like jacques duc de yeah uh, yeah yeah or belois or something yeah we don't actually know for sure what happened to him but i think it's sort of implied that he uh maybe was killed by the crew based on the uh, flavor text between djc and return to savage shores okay which was sort of they sort of have a direct continuum there but uh yeah because yeah it's just really hard to follow at times so let me no i'm I'm not gonna look them up but Mm -hmm. i actually just pulled up the wiki i was working on yeah and you mentioned how a lot of the time crew have more interesting flavor text yeah uh there was one ship in particular, I think it was a submarine, mm-hmm. where the flavor text actually had some pretty big implications about the game's world. Uh-huh. And that there's, like, a lot more overlap with a bunch of Jules Verne novels. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mysterious Islands gets into that pretty heavily. Yep. Yeah, they had a ton of stuff going on with uh, references to 20,000 Leagues. Mm-hmm. And, uh, actually, let me look this up, because I'm pretty sure... They cite the existence of some kind of flying machine in uh, in the flavor text. Here it is. I just pulled it up. 
the uh, submarine called Barracuda. Its flavor text says, The Barracuda was originally built by Nemo as a gift for his friend Robert years before the infamous Conqueror took to the air. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which I guess has some pretty serious implications about other stuff in the game, but, yeah. you know, it only goes so far because none of that was ever released. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it would be yeah. interesting to see if they had if WizKids had any plans post-RTSS, uh, Return to Savage Chores, I don't really think they did, because it was so late already. But it would mm-hmm. be interesting to see if they had any stuff planned or whatever. I mean, we could always ask Wolf. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Sometimes yeah. it's pretty secretive about that stuff, but yeah, we could try at least. Yeah, I mean, maybe one day... Like, if the, uh, the copyrights expire or something like that, mm-hmm. uh, the license, whatever, he might be able to talk more about what was about what was going on. Yeah, yeah, I could see that potentially happening, yeah. yeah I, I'd love to hear about more stuff coming out. You know, just kind of maybe what they were just thinking of doing after that set. I thought, I got the impression that they were open to doing a sort of civil war American Civil War period mm-hmm. set based on some of the suggestions that I had for them around that. Mm-hmm. I think I've talked about that in the past episode, but basically I emailed them saying, hey, do Civil War era ironclads. And they said, play test it. And I never did. So, oh, yeah. Mm. Yeah. And then I forgot what I was going to say, but um, and then the other one, um, basically, they somebody at the forum recommended talking about um if we had tournament experience or went to any conventions. So my answer would be no. I didn't really, I was pretty young back then. I was born in 94, so I was only 14 by the time the game ended. And uh, so I didn't I didn't go to any tournaments or conventions. But, but one, of, one of the reasons why is because I didn't even know any of that existed. Because I only, I knew about the packs, but that's about it. I just bought packs at the store. I had no idea about like an online community i didn't know anything about like whiz kids like prize and tournament support and things like that and any conventions would probably be i don't really live in a major city so i wouldn't really have known about like conventions or at least even if i did it would have been really tough to get to especially when if i was i mean i was only like 12 or 13 so i wouldn't have been able to drive myself there anyway so yeah for me it was the same for the most part um i was born in 95 so i'm a year younger than than ben and Likewise, same problem. I bought stuff, and I knew there were tournaments just because, you know, I had a couple of those cards that said WizKids approved play and all that. But unfortunately, I never really knew any locations where that was going on. Uh, So I never got wrapped up in that. I never went to conventions as a kid. Uh, I think the first convention like that I ever went to would have been Paxi's 2015. But that's another story. Yeah. Yeah, and on that topic, though, I guess uh, the only other thing I would say is, like, tournament experience. I don't have anything, of course, like, official, but I did play a few tournaments uh, solo with some competitive 40-point fleets a few years back. I did one, I think one in 2013, one in 2015. Well, it wasn't really a tournament in 2015, but... And then, of course, on Vassal with Xerix, we played uh, Vassal tournament number one and tournament number two together, which has been pretty fun, and we've really... uh, We've learned a lot about like competitive play and how it works, what's like optimal and like the strategy of it and things like that. A lot of it's actually pretty mathematical when you get into like the strategy of like can this ship get home 
in X turns, and if she does, like, will this gold be enough? Because, like, a lot of times in, like, a two-player game, once you see what gold you have, you can calculate what your opponent has if you know that there's, you know, only 30 in the game or whatever, and then you can kind of keep track of, like, gold bonuses and those abilities and stuff like that. But, yeah, so I have some, like, tournament, technically I have, like, quote-unquote, like, tournament experience at this point, but not from... Not from, like, actually WizKids-sponsored stuff back in the day. And then the other one, any conventions. Basically, Xerix and I have mentioned very briefly and kind of as, like, a kind of as like a long-term, like, pipe dream type scenario where we get, like, people from this Pirates community together in, like, a physical location. Like, we pick, like, a, a city that's convenient for people. And then it would have to be planned, like, literally, like, multiple years in advance, which is one of the tough mm -hmm. parts and like, logistically it would be pretty tough for some people to attend between like families and work and things like that i don't know if it's even realistic to do at some point but within like the next like x number of years like we could at least try to get some kind of some kind of get together do like our own little pirates weekend or week or whatever probably just a weekend mm -hmm. but like at a hotel and then have like a have like a game room or something where we could play and uh just turn the floor of somebody's room yeah, exactly. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I could host it. <laughs> yeah, that would be cool. Although that's, like you said, that's probably quite some time off. Yeah. I'd imagine that a lot of the newer members would only really be interested in doing something like that if they could. You know, once they've got a few hundred posts and, you know, they've got attachment to the forum, the community and yeah. the people around them. Yep. Yeah. All right, so that's pretty much the topics we were going to cover. So um, this was uh, Pirates uh, CSG podcast episode number three. So this is A7X Van Ben and God Mason uh, signing off for now.